It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. My name is Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak. And we are rolling along in this 2019 guest mock draft. I'm super excited about what we have today. We're finishing out the top 10, or sorry, the top 20, getting you ready yeah. for the weekend. Uh, I got to recap it. I know it's we're getting to a bunch of names, but I got to recap it for everybody. In this guest mock draft, in which we had somebody who either covers a team or the NFL draft kind of come on give us a little bit of inside information from every team, and then we ended up having them make a pick because you've read so many of our mock drafts. It's good to kind of get a culmination of what other people are thinking. Just to run down the list of who's already been picked, Cardinals went Kyler Murray, uh, 49ers went Nick Bosa, Jets went Josh Allen, Raiders got Quinn and Williams, Bucks went Ed Oliver, Giants Dwayne Haskins, Jaguars Jonah Williams, Detroit Lions went Montez Sweat, Bills TJ Hawkinson, Broncos Devin White, Bengals Devin Bush, Packers, Brian Burns, Dolphins, Christian Wilkins, Falcons, Juwan Taylor, Redskins went Byron Murphy, Panthers went Cleveland Farrell, the Giants in their second pick went DK Metcalf, that's very interesting, trying to replace Odell right there, one for one, and then Arif Hassan for the Vikings on our last podcast, picked Jeffrey Simmons uh, at number 18, I kind of like, it's a bit of a stretch, but I mean, not for talent, I kind of like it, it's just not a mock draft pick that I was kind of surprised at, were you kind of surprised about that Jeffrey Simmons one, Ben? Well, yeah, I mean, I made weird noises when it happened. So that's the, <laughs> the universal I mean, sign. I feel like you do that all the time, no matter what. But here to help us kind of round out this this top 20 with pick number 19, we have Teron Davenport. He covers the Tennessee Titans for ESPN. Teron, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. No problem. I appreciate you guys for reaching out, man. It's always good to come on and chop it up with you. So I appreciate it. Of course. Well, let's get right to it, okay? You know, 2018 – I know this similar boat because I cover a team that has Jameis Winston. And Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota went in the same year. And they're both kind of, it's so funny because when that draft came around, it was like whoever the Bucks picked or whoever the Titans picked, you couldn't go wrong. These were going to be two winners of cornerbacks, two franchise guys. And here now both of them are in their fifth year options, basically like teetering whether or not the team's even going to keep them. So I just want to know, kind of, give me a little bit of Marcus Mariota background. What's been going on with him? Has he been better than people say? I, I don't know, maybe worse. What's the assessment on Mariota coming into such a crucial 2019 season after what he went through in 2018? The big issue is the health, right? So you, you have the elbow, you have the uh, the nerve damage that he had, but then it comes out that he, he had um, there's a severe injury to his foot. Yeah, and you know when you when you have those kind of things happen, you know to your throwing arm and to your foot, a guy like Mariota is going to be limited. So I kind of give him a pass performance wise last year, but the big problem because the best thing that you could do is be available, right? right. No ability is better than availability, and he wasn't available at times last year. Obviously, the last game against the Colts. So the main thing is just getting this guy healthy. Right and now, when he's healthy and he's playing, it just seems like when the stakes are higher, he rises to the occasion. 
So really the whole thing that you have to do is work on getting him to definitely rise to the occasion, but you also want to elevate your performance and that lead up to when the stakes are higher. So there's a lot out there that that they have to get done. Um, his main thing is like he, he'll see it, right, but he, he doesn't believe it and he won't rip it, so to speak. So when you have that situation, you have a guy that, that, that's coming open and, you know, he doesn't those tight throws that, that you need to make. Good example was against the Bills last year where uh, John Smith was running a corner route. He had him open for a touchdown, but he just didn't like the way the safety was hovering over top and the corner dropped back a little bit. It was like a cover two look, and he didn't fit it in there. He tucked it and, and re-threw it, and uh, Nick Nick Williams, um, you know, dropped a, a touchdown pass. So they just had to get that together, get him to play with a little more moxie, a little more aggressiveness. So when it comes to improving, to, to helping Mariota in those moments, you're talking right now to one of the biggest Corey Davis fans there ever was coming out. And so mm-hmm. I've been waiting kind of for that Corey Davis breakout for that strong you know uh season where he proves that he is the x that he is that wide receiver one for the titans do they still think obviously they bring in adam humphreys you have taewon taylor you have tajay sharp you have Corey davis so a lot of young guys obviously johnu smith delaney walker figuring out what they're going to do at tight end do they feel like they have enough in the pass catcher area for mariota that, that mariota should be successful with this group or are they going to potentially be looking for a pass catcher early? Some people have said it might be necessary so as to really surround Mariota with talent and help him out in those moments. I know during the combine, they did a lot of work and a lot of uh, meetings, showed a lot of interest in A.J. Brown. So I could see him being mm-hmm. an option. Uh, they have Emmanuel Hall coming in. Obviously, you guys know he's the field stretcher. Yeah. They have him coming in this week for a visit. I believe it's going to be Tuesday. So they're they're doing their homework. I think they they like what they have, especially in Corey Davis. They love the fact that he's the number one receiver, but he's also their best blocker. So they love what they have in Corey Davis, and they're going to continue to to work to get him, you know, to be the the top target getter, so to speak. But uh, I could see them adding. You know, Marquise Brown is definitely intriguing. I could see them, you know, looking at at, at one of those guys. You know, uh, uh, Demarcus Lodge. I know they've they've shown interest in in him. Uh, there, there's multiple receivers that they've looked at, so I wouldn't be surprised if they pick one. Now, I don't know for sure that they'll do that in the first or second round. You know, Paris Campbell is also a good match, so we just have to see how that works out. But I, I don't see them, you know, going through this draft without bringing at least one of those guys in. Yeah, sounds like a lot of speed they're trying to get. I mean, it makes sense with Davis on the right. outside. Now you got Humphreys in the middle, getting another speed guy to kind of stretch the field. I think that makes sense. I want to flip over to the defense a little bit. Um, you know, I've talked about on this podcast, I think for really the better part of the last year, that the secondary kind of didn't play up to the way that they were hoping, at least for the money that's certainly been invested in the capital that's in that secondary. But I've almost, the way that I've I've, I've worded it is, their chips are kind of on the table here, right? I mean, like their money is already invested in these guys. They just have to play well. And then you're going through a big change to this Titans defense when it comes to edge play. Cameron Wake comes in to play, I think, opposite Harold Landry. What's kind of the identity of this defense? Is it almost like, do you see them making a really big splash in the draft when it comes to to defense? If so, maybe what position? But other than that, are the Titans players on defense kind of just the way that it is and they just got to perform? 
Yeah, I'll start from from the draft perspective, and I tell you, I, I could see them making a splash in the first round if a guy like Brian Burns or, or Montez Sweat, those guys are available within striking distance. I could see them putting a deal together and moving up to get them because they are difference makers, mm-hmm. right? If not, right. I think at fifty one, they'll come back and they'll look at a Dondre Walker or a Charles Amenehu, that type of guy. Even the Ja'Kai Polite. I mean, I understand he had the bad sure. combine yeah. interview session and, and, you know, the spider charts don't work. But at the end of the day, the dude could play football, right? So that's something. And I know they're interested. They're very interested, actually, in Jalen Ferguson. So those are guys I can see them taking, you know, in the second round. Um, as far as the secondary is concerned, you know, I'm going to give you a hot take. And, and, and it's been a take that I've been sticking with this, this whole past season. Kevin Byer is the best safety in football. Ooh, right? so you have nice. Him, yes. Yeah. I, I strongly believe that. You know, you look at what he does at the line of scrimmage. You look at him in coverage. You look at him just, uh, you know, and I'm talking about a man coverage, but then you look at his range in single high. He's a solid tackler, outstanding tackler. He turns the football over. So, yeah, in my opinion, he's the best safety in football. But uh, I think when you have that kind of piece and then you're able to match up a Vicaro with him who – actually getting finally getting a chance to be interchangeable, you know, and, and actually truly play safety as opposed to just being thrown in the box or, or thrown in coverage against slot receivers, which is an unfair matchup for him. I think you have something there. But the cornerbacks, that's really where the issue. Adoree Jackson needs to elevate his game and be the shutdown corner that he's capable of being, and not only being that shutdown corner, but turning the football over. That's a key, right? Malcolm Butler, he started to come along once he – you know, that pressure of the big deal didn't didn't outweigh on him. I remember talking to him about that, you know, just going back and being the savage that he was when he first got into the league, and that's what he was focused on doing. So I think the arrow is pointing up for them. Logan Ryan, one of the better, you know, slot guys in, in, the, uh, in the league, and also very reliable on the outside. But one guy that they're really showing a lot of interest in is Jimmy Moreland. And I know you guys down at – at East West Shrine, really yep. liked what he was able to do. Yep. They love Jimmy Moreland. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's a guy that they grab a little bit later to help out. Logan Ryan is going to be a free agent eventually. So, you know, they're going to have to have someone that, that could come in and, and play that nickel spot if they decide to move on from him, which I don't think would be the right thing to do. But still, having that youth, you know, Moreland would help them. Um, they also have to be able to get after the quarterback. They – their sacks, you know, you got Jayon Brown. He led the team with six and a half sacks. Inside linebacker, they need to get help, you know, coming off of that edge. And I know in talking to Rashawn Evans, he's going to get some opportunities to, to be, you, you know, a, a pass rusher from the outside coming off that edge, which is something he's very capable of doing. So that's something to look forward to. Sharif Finch out of Temple is continuing to, to rise as well. But I think they really have to add to that position. Cameron Wake is definitely a good pick, but I think they have to add to that position, whether it's, you know, the first or second round guys that I talked about. Later on, grabbing a guy like a Max Crosby, you know, I think that's a really good option. I think Carl Granderson is someone that needs to be on their radar as well. So there's options that they could do throughout the draft, but to get that truly impactful guy, they're going to have to do it, that immediately impactful guy, they're going to have to do it in the first two rounds. I love Teron just dropping names like no, oh, no great, dude. Carl I, Granderson, I love, I love when we get like draft people who also like cover the team on there because they're firing names on us left and right. I love that. Right. So let me ask That's you this: what we that, do, man. Yeah, you got to know it. 
So, Teron, uh, the, the Titans have a have a an, an angle on the playoffs late last season. They obviously end up, you know, not being able to make it there. They they lose to the Colts in the last game of the season, I think it was. But they so the, the Titans aren't able to make it into the playoffs. How high is the ceiling for this team? Obviously, Matt Lafleur is now gone. New offensive coordinator and Arthur Brown been around the Titans for a long time. You talked about some of the young players that really need to step up. You're in an AFC South that suddenly has gotten pretty good. You know, a few years ago, this wasn't a division that was threatening too much. But now with the Colts, with the Titans, with the Texans, and then who really knows what the Jaguars are going to be? Obviously, it's been a, a uh, up and down two years for them. Really tough division. Is this a team that can make the playoffs? And if they do, who are those young players who really stepped up to bring that to fruition? Yeah, the young players that really stepped up. I think Jayon Brown is someone you have to mention sure. right away. Yeah, and I mean this do you that Colts game? He single handedly tried to put them back in the game. And he single handedly kept them in the game. To be honest with you, you know he had a pick six. They then he had a forced fumble and fumble recovery. That dude is playing out of his mind, and it's funny because I talked to him about that, and he said that you know he worked with uh, Clay Matthews. And um, oh, uh, slipped my mind. He, he, UCLA defensive tackle that played for the Packers. Um, I want to say Kenny Clark, but I, I don't remember his name exactly. But he worked with with some guys, and, and that just helped elevate his game. So he's someone. So those are some guys that that, that really helped them out. You know, uh, on the offensive and defensive side of things. Derrick Henry. I mean, how could you not mention him? Sure. And the way that they, you know, they rode that D D twenty two train. You know the last five games of the, of, of the season, so those are the three that really stand out the most to me. All right, so let's get a pick for you here at uh, at number nineteen. The board um, not really friendly for for any of the edge guys that are left. Uh, defense has been going pretty heavy in this guest mock draft. So the Titans got a couple of needs on both sides of the ball, really. So if the board fell like this to run, and it was up to you, who would you be picking here at number nineteen? And give us a little bit of why. Man, you know what? Even though I was a skilled player, you know, I always knew to pay homage to the big dogs, right? If those <laughs> right. guys don't block, it doesn't matter how well you run your route, the quarterback's not going to see you. And I, I think when you look at this offensive line, signing Roger Saffold was, was awesome. That left side of it is locked down, but you got to avoid it at, at right guard, right? So I went and uh, looked at some different ways. Uh, Drew Samia is a guy I think that could come in, but I went and I took Eric McCoy, the center. Love out of it. Texas A&M. Yeah, love it. And I just – I take Ben Jones and I move him to right guard and I just let him go back to the position he played entering the league. And you bring in McCoy. Now, I was torn between McCoy and Bradbury. I didn't know which direction to go. But then I just say, you know what? McCoy against Alabama, that, that – yeah, I got to go McCoy. Give me him. You know, and I think he could come in and shore, shore up that, that line. And uh, that's only going to help your ability to get a clean evaluation on Marcus Mariota. So, right. you know, guys like Dexter Lawrence was, was there. Uh, Marquise Brown was there. I already mentioned him. But I'd say, you know, I'll come back later and, and get some guys, you know, at, at the receiver position or that, that interior position. Yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah, it, that's my pick. Yeah, dude, I, I, mean, I love it. Not, not only that Alabama game. I was actually watching Christian Wilkins not too long ago, and and Clemson played against A and M this year. And yeah. holy cow, did McCoy get the better of Wilkins? And like, I love Wilkins. Wilkins is good. Wilkins got a sack off of him, but there were way more plays where 
Wilkins would get a great jump. He'd get like that vintage first step, shoot the gap. You go, okay, here we go. Christian Wilkins about to do his thing. And then McCoy would just get right into him, smooth as could be, redirect him, get him away from the quarterback. I was super impressed with him in that game and basically all the film that I watched there McCoy. So that's a really good pick. I like it, Ben. What do you think? No, I love it a lot. And that's the thing is like if it's not edge, it's interior offensive line. And Eric McCoy is my top-ranked interior offensive lineman, and this is right about where I'd start drafting him. So to me, slam dunk. No, I think it's a really good pick because certainly, you know, like Theron said there, you've got to – it's like what the Bucs are doing with Jameis Winston. You have to give them every um, ounce of opportunity to prove that they're worth that next contract that they might be signing, right? And so the best way you can do that, paying homage to the big guys in front. I like it. Thank you so much, Theron, for joining us, man. That was great. No problem. Thanks for having me, fellas. Anytime. All right, Ben, here we go. Last pick of the top 20 on a Friday. Hopefully you're listening to this on Friday because you're subscribed and you're doing your due diligence listening to the second it comes out. But that's who we're wrapping it up with, the Steelers. Coming up next, you guys stick around. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed all right everybody welcome back to the locked on nfl draft podcast trevor and ben here with you to round out this top 20 of the 2019 guest mock draft and uh boy for this this last pick in the in the top 20 no shortage of drama, right, Ben? Uh, there's there's quite a lot that's been happening with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Really, I feel like over the last couple of years, we we see, we had all the Le'Veon Bell stuff, which seems like ages ago now, and that's mainly because of the Antonio Brown things and everything that happened there. So um, I'm excited for this one, Ben. What do you think is going to be the big uh, the big talking point of what they're looking for? I mean, my first question for our guest is going to be, how tough is it to mock draft for a team that would just take Terrell Edmonds in the first? Because to me, it seems impossible oh, to boy. mock draft for a team that's willing to do that. So, Oh, oh boy. Listen, well, you crazy know, franchise, man. This is very true. And so to help us know this crazy franchise of the Pittsburgh Steelers a little bit better, we have on the line with us Alex Kuzora. He works for Steelers Depot. Alex, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I just for my draft board, I just type in six round corner, and the first name I see is the one I take, and that's that's my draft strategy. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, that was good. Okay, so I, <laughs> right off the bat, I mean, I gotta ask you. I preface it a little bit, but all the Antonio Brown stuff, man. I mean, like, is this as crazy for you guys covering the Steelers as it's been for us? I mean, I know we had we had Pat Leonard on earlier in the mock draft series, and. We talked about, we asked him about Odell, and it was kind of, I asked him, you know, basically straight up, I never thought Odell was going to get traded. I, I didn't think they were going to be this crazy about it. And Pat kind of mm-hmm. came on and he said, yeah, we kind of saw it coming. What was the timeline like for you and Antonio Brown, at least covering the Steelers, when you, what was the point in which you knew, uh-oh, something's going south. He really might not be a Pittsburgh Steeler anymore. Give us a little bit of timeline of how you cover this. Yeah, it was up in the air early initially when we didn't have the full details. We knew he kind of he missed the week 17. We didn't know exactly why. It was reported as a knee injury, and, and we didn't get much more information off of that. But I think the time 
the moment when the, the tide really turned was when Antonio Brown, after Mike Tomlin's uh, end of season press conference, was doing an Instagram live with James Harrison, which is a sentence I didn't think I'd ever put together at once. And, and you know, just the continued comments and shots at the organization. And really, once we found out he wasn't returning Art Rooney's calls or, you know, wasn't planning on meeting with the team that they ultimately did meet, but it was far late into this process, um, really past the point of no return. Um, I think inside the Pittsburgh media, we knew fairly quickly that this relationship wasn't able to be repaired and they weren't going to be able to hash it out and the Steelers had no option but to trade Antonio Brown so I think it was about a month in I think the Pittsburgh media kind of had that that feeling that this was done so now when you look at the offense obviously you expect things to be more so ran out of Juju Smith-Schuster who's now I think going to become that primary wide receiver for the Steelers but Smith-Schuster, very young, been very productive across his early career, has always enjoyed playing next to the best wide receiver that we have in the league. When you look at the rest, you know, you'd like to get more out of James Washington, second-year player, Dante Moncrief, obviously free agent edition. Vance McDonald is now the unquestioned tight end one. Who's going to step up the most, do you think, and take some of those Antonio Brown targets? And I guess the corollary question is, how early could you see the Steelers, a team that develops wide receivers really well, going wide receiver in this draft to help fill the void that Brown's departure creates. Yeah, I think it's got to be James Washington as the guy. Obviously, you know what Juju can bring, what Vance uh, McDonald's able to bring whenever he's healthy. You know, Moncrief is going to be that X receiver to replace Antonio Brown. But Washington as that Z receiver is the guy that has to make a big jump from year one to year two. Last year was quiet. It was a really tough transition. But I think Steeler fans got spoiled by Juju because more often than not, rookie receivers do struggle out of the gate. It's one of the tougher uh, positions to make a transition to. So, you know, Juju had great success. But again, I think that was just kind of the exception, not the rule. So hopefully for Washington year two. Um, he looked really good in training camp and preseason. And I know that's training camp and preseason, but I still have confidence he can take that step. Um, I think he ended the season on a high note, and that's really important for him. So certainly, uh, James Washington is the, the one guy you want to step up, but it's got to be a collective effort, obviously. You can't replace your Hall of Fame resume with just one guy, you know, much less a second-round sure. guy with six or seven catches, you know, on his career resume. In terms of where they could take a receiver, I think the board's open. Now, what they've the moves they've kind of made have hinted at more of a third, fourth round, because as you guys said, there's no team that drafts receivers better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, I thought first round was a possibility, but based on the interest they've shown in pro days and pre-draft visits, that seems unlikely. So I think two names to circle, third, fourth round, you know, maybe even 66, 83 in the fourth round range are Miles Boykin from Notre Dame, you know, a big upside potential X receiver, and David Sills from West Virginia. And they're two different guys in the sense of one's a, a production guy in Sills, one's a projection guy in Miles Boykin, but two guys they've really taken good looks at and they clearly like. They've definitely done their homework on Boykin. So I'd be looking in that third, fourth round for the receiver to come in. Oh, I like the specifics. I like the specifics there. Um, those are good. I know I want to ask you just about the, the Brown trade in specific, because this is obviously a draft prospect or a podcast and they got draft picks for him. But in mm -hmm. terms of the hall itself, it's so tricky. And I'm kind of going through that here down in Tampa as covering the Buccaneers. What's going on with Jerry McCoy? Because it's like, right. you've got two sides that are clearly not on the same page. They're looking to move on, but Neither side is looking to get burned one way or the other. Gerald's not looking to get burned in the money that he wants to get paid and the opportunity that he's going to have to potentially contend for a championship. And the Bucks certainly don't want to give up on this guy just by cutting him, right? I mean, like, they want something mm -hmm. back. So it felt like there was a parallel and a similar type of situation with Antonio Brown. Obviously, I think Brown had a little bit more value than certainly we're seeing <laughs> from McCoy. But getting picks at 66 and 142... Is that what you is that what you thought they might get? What it, like should they have gotten more? Were they expecting to get more? 
maybe you thought they might get less. Maybe they would have to cut their losses a little bit. What did you think for the returning haul that they got from Oakland for AB? It came in a little lower than I thought. I thought they could still snag a second rounder for it. Um, so, it's, but but in reality, that third round pick, that's sixty six overall. That's the second pick of the third round. So it kind of functions as a low second rounder. Sure. Um, really, what it came down to was a lack of leverage. Again, AB returning to Pittsburgh. I know Colbert said openly he could return. No, he was just saying that to say that because uh, he had to. He was not coming back to Pittsburgh, and everyone around the league knew it. And with the baggage that he had, yes, you know he has more value than Gerald McCoy, but he's got more baggage right now than Gerald McCoy, and he wanted that big money contract too. So. So create a lot of obstacles and you could really whittle down that list of potential suitors to really Oakland. It was Oakland betting against themselves. And whenever you have a team that's able to sit there and say, this is what we're going to give you. And we know you have no choice. The Steelers just had a total lack of leverage. So I'm not going to pretend like the value was consistent with the player. It wasn't. I mean, Oakland got great value for Antonio Brown, even with the risks they've inherited. But um, the Steelers had no choice here. They had to get whatever they could get for him and move on. Okay, so let's transition the view a little bit here. Now we'll go and move off the offensive side of the ball. I want to talk defense because you've got the departure of of Ryan Shazier, obviously, after a terrible injury, and he's still rehabbing. Mark Barron is the free agent that comes in. The Steelers were kind of in desperate need of corner help a couple years ago. Joe Hayden is the one who comes in. Now he's the incumbent, but obviously you don't expect Hayden to be playing at a super high level for much longer. Steven Nelson is the opposite starter there because Artie Burns still hasn't really been able to do anything. And then, of course, safety addressed with Sean Davis a couple years ago, Terrell Edmonds last year, still a position of weakness. The, 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 the front three, I should say, is good because we can even talk about Edge and Bud Dupree being a problem. How would you rank the needs on this Steelers defense, and where do you expect them to go early? I think it's our linebackers at the top still, now that you've addressed corner with Steven Nelson, who's going to be your starting right cornerback in, in 2019. Um, I know they signed Mark Barron. That's a really good insurance policy. There could be a role for him. The Steelers have become really, you know, everyone thinks of them in that 3-4 fire zone, dick defense. They really become a hybrid, a man-heavy team. Um, they run a lot of, you know, sub-package. They're running this 3-3-5 they showed late last year. So um, I don't think that the Mark Barron signing is going to stop you from from drafting an inside linebacker and drafting one high. So they, they like Devin Bush a lot. Um, and, and so that's the one name, the circle of 20, um, realistically, but to even go broader than that, this defense just needs playmakers. I mean, they picked off eight passes last year. I mean, this, this defense could not create a turnover to save its life. They dropped 13 picks last year that led the NFL. They had so many changes to make splash plays and the closeout games. They just simply could not do it. So whether you're talking corner or safety or a dime or an inside linebacker, even an, an edge guy, they need people that can produce, create splash, create that big play. Cause since the loss of Ryan Shazier, they simply have not had that guy they shift a little bit more towards the draft focus and and we'll get into who you're going to pick for him uh Mm -hmm. in a second but i did want to ask you about ben roethlisberger just uh, i think what's the outlook on him how how much longer do they think that he's going to play that he's going to play at a high level because i I do still think that obviously when there was this splitting of of sides between a b and and what seemed like to be conflict with roethlisberger i mean we're finding out i think it was I guess conflict with basically just everybody. He just <laughs> wanted out of Pittsburgh. But what what is Roethlisberger's future like look like? Because we're we're getting into that time period where you know Eli, Philip Rivers, even guys like you know Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco. Like these guys are being they're they're getting up there in age and they're kind of being ushered out. Certainly Brady and mm-hmm. and Rogers are at the very top of that. But we're about to get into this next generation of quarterbacks. But only once these 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 other guys, these names that I mentioned, kind of get off their platforms. How close are we to that happening with Ben Rosberger? Or or is this really like do they still see him playing another handful of years at a high level as their quarterback? 
It's really difficult to say, Trevor. I, I think the contract extension that is likely to get some time this summer is going to reflect how long he expects to play and how long the team expects him to play. It could be a two-year extension. It could be a four-year extension. We're not clear on that. I think it could go either way. So I think whenever we get those contract details, that'll kind of be the biggest indication. But he's still playing at a high level. Um, this guy threw... I mean, 670, I think, pass attempts last year. I mean, the guy threw, you know, career-high pass attempts. He's still playing at a high level. Um, he's not the backyard bend, run around, throw Terrell Suggs off his shoulder type of guy anymore. He's a lot more structured and play within the pocket kind of quarterback. Sure. But that's out of necessity. And that's honestly saved his career. The the, the building up the offensive line, Ben not taking as many shots, um, has allowed him to play at this age. So I think he's got at least two years left. You know, beyond that, we're not too sure. I'm sure he doesn't have a definitive answer yet either. A lot's going to be health dependent. But again, I think that contract extension is going to be our guide to how much longer he thinks he has left and, and did it with a team. All right, so we'll we'll get to your pick now. Here they are, number twenty overall. What do the Steelers really need at number twenty? I mean, I'll, I'll get you to talk about talk about just the draft in g- general here at number twenty. Some targets that they might be looking after, either positions or maybe certain guys, regardless of who's off of this board. And then we'll have you make a pick on, on who it is relative to this board. But who are some maybe options or positions that they're going to be looking at for sure here at number twenty? Well, certainly Devin Bush is at the top of the list. Uh, I know he's off the board here. Unfortunately, the board didn't break well uh, for me at all, I think, in this scenario. But I think he's you're not the, the, the biggest first, guy. You're not the first person <laughs> to come on and say that. Yeah. Probably not the last either, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, Bush is, is a guy that, you know, will he fall to 20? My guess is no. I'm not going to say that with 100% confidence, but I doubt that he does. So I think you could look for a trade-up. This team loves Devin Bush. I mean, they sent the house. They literally sent, I think, 8 to 10 personnel members to the Michigan Pro Day. And they were wow. looking at a lot of guys, but that included Mike Tomlin, Kevin Colbert, the defensive coordinator, the inside linebacker coach. They sent the water boy to Michigan. I mean, they just sent everybody there. So <laughs> Devin Bush, I think, is at the top of the list. But if they can't get him, which is certainly possible, then I think you look at the cornerback position. They brought in some high-level corners, and that did surprise me a little bit with the Stephen Nelson signing, but you look at Byron Murphy from Washington, who I think could kick inside to the nickel and maybe take over at the Mike Hilton spot. They like DeAndre Baker from Georgia. Um, Cleland Farrell at the outside linebacker spot, I think, makes a lot of sense. He checks a ton of boxes. If you're looking at Pittsburgh from a re- realistic standpoint, you're looking at a couple things. Power five, underclassmen, and were Tomlin and Colbert at their pro day. That's basically been their MO for the last nine years, is those wow. type, type of player. There's That's an such a strong MO. Right, and, and and it's kind of a blessing to be a Steelers fan because you have that continuity between GM and head coach, and yeah. so you know what they look for, what you know a Pittsburgh Steelers looks and smells like, and so that's what you're looking for. Our underclassmen, Power Five at the pro day, and they were at the Clemson pro day, they were at LSU, they did weren't at Washington. They are bringing Byron Murphy in for a visit, but again, they were at Michigan as well. So I think Devin Bush is the number one guy. If they can't go him, looking edge, you're looking maybe a dime guy. So I think second round is more realistic. You're looking cornerback. Um, but yeah, this board did not break great for me. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that much. So who's it going to be? Who are you going to? pick here at 20 then with the board is the way it is again uh, I, I thought about Rashawn Gary I thought about a dime guy I think I'm going to wait on that what I'm going to go with is Greedy Williams the cornerback from LSU Ooh. hey high ceiling high ceiling big need you know yep so yeah, play, playmaker six picks his freshman year again eight interceptions here, here's the craziest stat I'll give you on Pittsburgh and I'm sorry I'll, I'll make it short but no you're good worries. please the last two years, the Steelers have 108 sacks. That's number one in the NFL. The next team has 92, so they're far and away the league leader in sacks the last two years. And we think sacks pressure creates turnovers, right? Mm-hmm. For everybody else but Pittsburgh, they're 26th in takeaways the last two years. First in sacks, 26th in takeaways. It's unbelievable how it hasn't translated. So wow. I know it's not the biggest need because you have the corner, and where is, is Greedy Williams going to play? Year one, it's hard to identify, but when you have good corners that smack you in the face and say, pick me, I'm going to pick off passes for you, you do it, you don't look bad. 
Man, listen, Ben, what do you think? Top 20 player for me. Yeah, no, top 20 player on my board, 20th overall at a high impact position. I ain't complaining. This makes a ton of sense. To I think me. it makes sense for the Steelers, certainly. Yep. Like, Greedy is, he's just got to be all in, is the thing. I mean, like, talent has never been right, the, right. the question with Greedy. It's just like, there's clearly plays where he played last year where it was almost like, you could you literally see him thinking about the NFL like while he was playing at LSU. So, hey, maybe he is now here in the NFL and you're going to get the best of Greedy Williams. And if you are, then that's a hell of a cornerback, especially for the Steelers to get at number 20. Alex, thank you so much for, uh, for giving us a ton of background on the AB stuff and, and everything going on with the Steelers. Yep, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Ben, top 20 down. Dude, only... where's Rashawn Gary going to go? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so we do these mock drafts all the time. And some people were like, oh, Rashawn Gary will never go that low. Here we are having B reporters on for every team. And he's and still on the board. Him. He's still on the board. Here's the thing. Seattle at 21. It makes a lot of sense. There's it potential. really does. There's potential. And there's a couple other ways that Seattle can go to. So Seattle is who we will be kicking it off with next week. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.